Do you ever feel like you need professional help with, with your praying? With your praying, though? Well, newsflash, you don't. You don't. You don't need professional help with your praying. But, but, but check out this video to see how silly it might be if you actually did have professional help. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you don't need that. You don't need that. Um, you know, I do think that many people just really struggle with the how-to of prayer. We started this series off discovering the point of prayer a few weeks ago, and then we talked about principles of prayer last time. Today we're going to talk about the practice of prayer. You know, when it comes right down to that moment of trying to pray, many of us are just flat out not sure what to say. I mean, really, what do you say to God? And you know what? If that's you, you're in good company because the 12 closest disciples of Jesus, they didn't know either. In fact, when they could have asked Jesus anything, the Gospel of Luke tells us they chose to ask him how to pray. One of the best ways to find out what is most important to someone is to notice what they spend their time doing. And the Gospels tell us that Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer, a whole lot of time. Here's one example. Luke writes, Jesus went to a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. I wonder if someone were writing your life story or mine, if they would ever pause in the narrative long enough to say, and after that, he or she went to a quiet place and prayed for a very long time. Would your prayer life even make it? into your biography. If someone were writing about you, would, would he or she always be mentioning um, your tendency to go and pray? What do we mean when we say we follow Jesus? One of the ways we need to follow him is in prayer. And we all have our excuses, right? We're so busy. Everything we have to do is so important to so many people, but surely none of us are arrogant enough to think that what we have to do is more important than what Jesus had to do. At times there were thousands of people hanging on every word he said and thousands who placed their hope in every action he took. Somebody might have even died for lack of healing while Jesus was off praying. Someone might have missed hearing the gospel because when they finally got to where Jesus was preaching and teaching, he was off somewhere praying by himself. In spite of the importance of the other things Jesus was doing, it is absolutely clear in his life story that he often unplugged to pray. Jesus would stop teaching and preaching so he could pray. He would stop building up his disciples to spend time in prayer. I think it is possible that maybe Jesus even stopped answering texts and emails and phone calls, maybe for days at a time, to pray. Jesus prioritized prayer. His disciples saw this over a period of three years, and so they naturally wanted to learn from his example. Isn't it interesting that they didn't ask Jesus to show them how to lead? They didn't ask him to show them how to teach. They didn't even ask him to show them how to heal. Jesus' disciples asked him to show them how to pray. And that's when Jesus gave them and us what we now call the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer, or some traditions call it the Our Father. Now, this is very important. 
when he answered the question how to pray. Jesus gave this model prayer, but he did not say pray this prayer word for word over and over until it loses all meaning to you. He actually said pray in this way. He said here is a great example of a prayer you could pray. I believe Jesus meant for what we call the Lord's Prayer to be thought of as an outline, as a guide, and not, not, not as a full-length prayer. After all, if these exact words were all Jesus had to say in, in, in prayer, what in the world was he doing when he prayed all night in the wilderness? You know, it wouldn't take very long to pray just, just the Lord's Prayer. No, the Lord's Prayer functions like a template or a model, not to be repeated word for word necessarily, but to be used as a guide. Pray in this way, Jesus said. So even though many, if not most of you, are familiar with the words of the Lord's Prayer, I want us to look at it again, and we're going to see if from it we can learn how to pray better, because that is exactly why Jesus gave this model to us. Let's read it all first, and then we'll look at each phrase individually. After the disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, Jesus said, from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The first thing I want to point out is that Jesus prayed this prayer as if offering it for the entire group. Have you ever noticed that? He offered this prayer from a plural perspective. He used the words our and us and we. Often we think of prayer as a solo activity, and much of the time it should be. But I think in this moment, Jesus affirms the idea of praying along with others in a group. He also affirms praying out loud in those groups. If Jesus had wanted his disciples only to pray alone, he would have said, pray like this, my father. He would not have said, pray like this, our father. While scripture and Christ's example also affirm that we should pray in solitude, I think the simple fact that that Jesus used together language to teach us about prayer is worthy of consideration. It can be a very powerful thing when we pray together particularly in smaller groups, particularly in homes, just like they did in the early church. And that's where the power came from, was their prayer times together in each other's homes. We can also apply this idea to husbands and wives praying together, and families praying together. Christy and I uh, try to pray together regularly, and when we do, we typically use together language. It's kind of automatic. What I'm saying is that if you are never in a situation where you, not just a pastor or a small group leader or somebody, but where you are praying with together language, you might be missing something. Now, let's get into the meat of what Jesus said by breaking down the Lord's Prayer into bite-sized pieces so we can use it as it was intended, as a model as an outline from which we will wind up with a very practical guide for how to practice prayer. Jesus said, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven. It's still hard for me not to say art. 
You know, I've just heard it so many times my whole life and sang the song growing up, or not growing up, I sang it in college and seminary. I, I, have, I, had a, I actually have a master's degree in music. Um, I don't know why, but um, so anyway, of course, we sang the Lord's Prayer. It's one of those songs you sing. And, um, so I still want to say art, but uh, that wouldn't communicate with a lot of people. So our Father who is in heaven. From this first phrase, we can see that Jesus wants us to address God in intimate terms. Address God in intimate terms. Our Father. Wow. This is incredible, really. To call God our Father. Our Father. Remember, this was Jesus talking, the Son of God. And friends, Jesus was saying, hey, God is not only my Father. He'd already made that clear, that God was his Father. But He's saying, if you have faith in me, if you're one of mine, one of my disciples, then God is your father as well. Now, what if your earthly father wasn't so great? I hear that a lot. And I'm truly sorry if if he wasn't. But I have a question for you too. What makes you think your earthly father should have been great? How do you know the difference between a good father and a bad one? What, what gives you that sense of ought, that your dad ought to have been better? I submit to you that it is because there is a standard for fatherhood. And the, the, the standard is not Mr. Brady. Okay. Or... Or I can't, there isn't anybody on a modern television show that even works for this, you know, this illustration. But it's not someone, or, or, or it's not whatever you thought somebody else's dad, who actually was very imperfect, you just don't know it, was like. Listen, the reason you feel like your dad should have been better or different is that there, that there is an eternal father whose love for you is perfect. The standard for fatherhood. And so God actually wants you to address him as the amazing, perfect dad that you never had. Or maybe as the one who helped your dad be, by your estimation, a good dad. Regardless of how your earthly father did or did not measure up to your expectations, Jesus is telling you to address God as the father you never had. Because whether yours was relatively good or relatively bad, God is infinitely better. And God, the perfect father, wants you to address him in intimate, loving, immediate family terminology. Isn't it nice to know that whatever your earthly dad is or was like, your heavenly father is infinitely better. That you have a heavenly father who is completely sufficient He's all-sufficient, and whose love for you is perfect. Consider the alternative. What if God didn't care? But he does care more than we can imagine. Listen to me, friend. You have a perfect father in God. Speaking to the church in Galatia, the apostle Paul wrote, So you are all children of God. Through faith 
in Christ Jesus. You're children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.15 says, So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. The New Testament teaches us to address God in intimate terms. Now, let's pause and let this sink in. We're talking about the God of the universe here. We're talking about the star maker, the life giver. There's an incredible video of a talk given by Louis Giglio, who, despite his funny-sounding name, is a pretty amazing teacher. In this video, Giglio talks about the vastness of outer space, and he starts describing the size of some of the bigger stars, and he compares the size of the earth where we live to those stars. You know, like the biggest star they've found so far called Canis Majoris. And he explains that you could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside the area of this one star. And he points out that if the Earth were reduced to the size of a golf ball, seven quadrillion Earths would cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches deep. And see, that's how many Earths could fit inside this one big dog Canis Majoris, star. Now, somewhere on one of those golf balls is the state of Washington, and somewhere inside one dimple on that golf ball is Ridgefield, and somewhere inside that is Go Church. And here we were singing prayers of praise this morning to the one who created not just the earth and not just that one star, but so many stars that it's impossible to count them, even with all the supercomputers and technology we have today. The one who created all of that with a word in a nanosecond. The one who the Bible says breathed those stars into existence is the one you and I get to call Father. Dear Father. Who's your daddy? Takes on a little more different meaning. (laughs) How can that be? How can I be that important? There's one reason and one reason only, because that's how God wanted it to be. That's why he made all of this in the first place. He looked forward and he saw people that he wanted to know. People whose God he wanted to be. People whose father he wanted to be. People with whom he wanted to have a close personal relationship as a perfect father would have with his son or daughter. And it all started that way, you know, as the Lord walked in the garden during the cool of the day with the first man and woman. But something messed all that up pretty bad, didn't it? God wanted true love, so he allowed choice. And mankind chose sin instead of God. But the giver of life and the star breather didn't give up on us. He didn't quit on us. He decided to buy it all back, and the cost was heavy for him. He made plans to come down and fix this mess, to make a way. That's why Jesus came, to make a way, to offer peace between God and man. Now, by accepting God's solution in Christ, we can be redeemed, restored into a close relationship with God. Now, we can even be called the children 
of God. Do you realize what a privilege it is to, to refer to God as Father? You would think only Jesus would get to do that. Except that he made us his brothers and sisters when he died on the cross. The original language here was Aramaic, this father word. And scholars tell us it actually probably meant something even more intimate than most of us would think of when we think of the word father. Probably something more like daddy. So, here's the application. I don't want to say it's absolutely wrong to start off a prayer with the words, Almighty and omniscient God of the universe, holder of the keys to eternity. But that's not really what we get from Jesus here, is it? Jesus tells us to address God in intimate terms. That's where our prayer should start, our Father. Next, Jesus prayed, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is just another form of the word holy. It means separate, set apart, lifted up, beyond us, um, and perfect. So I'm sure you see the dichotomy between these first two phrases. First, it's our daddy. Then it's you are completely perfect and holy and separate from me. This is the God we serve. He is high and lifted up, and yet he lives in the hearts of his followers at the same time by grace through faith in Jesus. God is not only Father, he is also Yahweh. Perfectly holy and set apart from the imperfections of this place and our lives, accessible only because of Christ. Jesus said, holy is your name. God's name is to be revered because it is by name that he is identified. God's name represents who he is, his character, his power, his his holiness. To say holy is your name is to verbally declare the character of God to God. That's a pretty good definition of worship. And the Bible says that that kind of worship is good and pleasing to the Lord, that he is seeking worshipers who will worship in that way based on the truth of who he is. So not only does Jesus' example suggest that we address God in intimate terms, but secondly, It suggests that our prayers start with worship. Start with worship. I think this is a very important principle, not just that we include worship in our prayers, but I really think there's value in starting our prayers with a time of worship, just as Jesus demonstrated. Worship helps us remember just exactly to whom we are praying. And worship helps us remember how privileged we are to even be talking to God, how blessed we are that he's listening. Jesus is teaching us not to approach God in prayer like he's been on hold. Some of you don't know what that is. We used to be, put people on hold. I, I don't, that's just, nobody even answers their phone anymore, so you don't even know what that means. But okay, it's not like you, you know, were texting with God, and now you're texting with someone else, and God's like, you forgot about the one with God, and so now then you come back to it, or you were on Facebook, and then three or four other things. Are, uh, uh, God, you're still there. Are you still there? Are you still available? You know. Maybe we should not start most of our prayers as if the maker of heaven and earth is at our beck and call. 
as if he had nothing better to do or, or doesn't have need to be uh, sought out for a moment before dumping our latest wish list at his feet. Yes, he is near. And yes, you can talk to him anywhere and any time. But no, you should not take his listening ear for granted or fail to acknowledge his holy name when you pray. And if every prayer you pray begins and ends with what you want from God, you need to learn something from the model Jesus gave us. It might just change everything if you make uh, sure to start with worship pretty much every time. Think about it. What if you always started with worship? I think if you, if you try this, if you, I, want, I think a lot of people never really worship through prayer. They just never do that part. And you're, it, that's where we should start. Think about it. What if you always started with, with worship? Our Father, holy is your name. And again, this is just a guide. A few more words might, might be warranted. But some people aren't very creative, right? Maybe it's hard for some of you to just come up with words to worship God. I mean, I get it. I really do. It's hard to know what to say to God. And it's hard to actually say whatever comes to mind. So let me give you a really, really practical tool to help with this point. You ready? It's so simple. And here it is. Use songs. Use worshipful lyrics that someone else has already written down. Use songs and hymns written by modern and ancient writers. Use psalms from the Bible. Do this and you'll have all the words you need to offer some worship through your prayers. Take my word for it. If you learn to start your prayers with worship, it will change your prayer life. Next, Jesus prayed, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. I'm taking those two phrases at once because I think they go together. God's kingdom has to do with his plan of redemption for this fallen world. He's all about redeeming or buying back, or you could even say fixing this broken creation, especially his people. The advancement of his kingdom is the carrying out of his will. Jesus is saying, pray and ask God to move forward with his plan. In your life, in the world, pray for his kingdom, his agenda to advance, that his people would be a blessing to the world as we were commanded, the call of Abraham, that's where it all goes back, go and be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's part of his kingdom, being a blessing. Pray that many more would surrender to Christ so they can become, uh, have peace with God and be used by God and be a part of his, his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Pray that Jesus will come back soon to heal, and yes, to judge, to bring things to consummation. God's kingdom, your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. That his plan to make things better, both in our lives and in the world as a whole, will be accomplished. Be so brazen and bold and faith-filled as to pray that God's will be done as perfectly in your life, in your community, in your church, in your world, as it is being done in heaven. Go ahead and ask for that. That's what Jesus taught us. Because you know what? We don't know. We don't know how much he might do today. So, are you that convinced that there can be no spiritual awakening, that there can be no revival? Is it all over? We don't know 
how much of his kingdom could come today? We should ask. And I'll tell you what we do know. We know for sure that one day God will finish what he started. See, to pray for his kingdom and his will is to pray a winning prayer. These are prayers that will be answered. These are prayers you can pray without question, without doubt, without equivocation. Pray for the will of God. And as you do, remember part one of this series, the idea that prayer changes me. Let your kingdom come in me. To sum that all up into a point, Jesus was teaching us to ask God for his plan. Ask God for his plan. For his plan. Guess what? Sometimes that means your plan won't happen, right? There's some surrender in this, a lot of surrender in this. Jesus did not so much tell us to pray for our own preferences as he told us to pray for the Father's plan. Jesus didn't ask for his own earthly kingdom to be built. He didn't ask for his own success or for his own stuff, more resources, whatever. Jesus always asked for God's kingdom, for God's plan, for God's will. See, in his heart of hearts, that's really what Jesus wanted. Because he knew the Father's plan was the best thing that could happen, both in his own life and in the world. Now, Jesus didn't need to have his mind changed in this way. He didn't need to change. But we do. We need to keep this fact in mind when we read certain other things Jesus taught about prayer. He assumed that his followers would start as he did with the understanding that all requests and all prayers must take a back seat to God's will. And that a, that, a, that a knowing prayer, a person that knows him, would know that it would be better to have God's will than anything else anyway. But let me also be honest that this is not always explained in every passage about prayer in the Bible. It's not always explained. In fact, let's go ahead and take time out right now to look at a verse or two, which taken by themselves can be the cause of a false understanding about prayer. You can consider this bonus material. In other words, I'm chasing a rabbit. You need to know that Jesus did say a couple other things as well. Like he said, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it because the work of the Son brings glory to the Father. Now, if you want to take that verse by itself and take the word anything as absolutely literal, you could build for yourself a doctrine that says you can have anything you want if you ask as long as you ask in Jesus' name, the magic words. But is that really what Jesus meant here? No. Another verse seems to tell us that answered prayers all predicated on belief. Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So, the second verse adds a little bit more understanding to the teaching. It indicates that, that, that God also wants us to believe, that, that it's not just for us to pray in Jesus' name, but also for our belief level to rise. You need to ask in faith if you expect God to answer. The book of James says don't even bother to ask uh, if you don't believe. There's a very valid principle there without faith, particularly in who God is. Uh, the request isn't going to be received. Without faith, you're asking in vain. That much is true. But some people have built an entire belief system around these two verses of Scripture. They throw out all the rest of Jesus' teaching on prayer and simply say, if you believe enough and ask in Jesus' name, you can have whatever you want. Some folks won't even go to the hospital because they feel that's a sign of disbelief. If they don't hope, have what they're praying for in Jesus' name, must, must be due to a shortage of faith. And according to these verses, taken by themselves, 
faith in the name of Jesus is all you'd need to get what you want. Others think that's the only reason they don't have wealth. They just need to believe a little bit more and it will come to them. Well, let's add another quote from Jesus to the mix. In John 15, 7, he said, But if you stay joined to me and my words remain in you, you may ask any request you like and it will be granted. So wait a minute. Now we see that it's not just about asking his name. It's not just about believing, but it's about how close you are to the Lord. It's about how tight you're walking with Jesus. And let's take it a step further. If you are joined to Jesus and his words remain in you, as he says, then how are you going to be praying? Well, you're going to find yourself praying for God's plan, just like he did. Maybe if you are joined to Christ and his words remain in you, you'll find yourself praying something like this. Your kingdom come. I don't know what I'm doing. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or you might pray, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, let your will be done, not mine. See, those are the kinds of prayers Jesus prayed. Those were Jesus' words. If his words remain in you, then you'll pray prayers like he did, kingdom prayers. If his words remain in you, you'll pray something like the model prayer where he asked for God's kingdom agenda to advance because he knew that was best. And so as you pray in Jesus' name, placing your faith in God and surrendering your request to his will, then that's where all these promises come into play because in those parameters, your request will be answered, will be granted, just as Jesus said it would. And that can make a big difference in your life. It can make a big difference in your church, in community, in the world. I've seen prayers like that make a huge difference even recently. The answer to prayers like that in my life can even be seen in the fact that you are here today, you see, listening to this sermon. It was God's will that his kingdom expand through the planting of this church. And he has granted my request because you're here. makes a difference. And I should say, I don't, there were many more people praying than me as well. But you see, when you look at one verse, you get one picture. And when you look at all the verses together, all about prayer, all from the mouth of Jesus, throwing in how he actually prayed as an example, who he was, then you get a much bigger picture and more accurate picture. That's why we have to be so careful about pulling one or two verses out of the Bible and basing an entire belief system on what those verses say. We must use Scripture as a whole to interpret smaller portions of Scripture. See, sometimes in an absolute statement, there's an all-important assumption behind it. Maybe always. You might say you love coffee, but the truth is you hate coffee unless it has cream and sugar in it. But you said, you just said, I love coffee. That's what you said. See, there was an important assumption which you did not include in your statement. You were assuming we all understood that you meant coffee with cream and sugar, but that's not what you actually said. You might have explained it later in a separate statement, but if we singled out your original declaration, we might get the wrong idea. Put it all together and we get the whole picture, which is that you are a sissy coffee drinker. <laughs> I mean, that's the real truth of the matter. It's true that Jesus 
talked a lot about praying and receiving what we ask for from God as his children. But he also talked a lot about praying that ultimately God's plan would win over ours. We need to put this all together and come up with a complete perspective of what Jesus really meant. Otherwise, we'll be, believe something that's just not true, and worse, we'll live our lives disappointed with God. Ask God first and foremost for his plan, and in the long run, you won't be disappointed. Next, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. What can we get out of this part of the model prayer? Well, I think basically we are to ask God for necessities. Ask God for necessities. Does anyone besides me take anything for granted in life, okay? Maybe we're a little bit better this week, right? It's Thanksgiving week. Maybe we'll kind of try to do a little better, but generally we take so much for granted. If you want help in this area, by the way, go on a mission trip to the poor and needy. I've done some work in the poorest country in this hemisphere, Haiti. Um, I've worked many times in the second poorest country, Nicaragua. By the way, we're going to Nicaragua next year. We're going, Lord willing, uh, it's going to happen. Like a lot of things, I, I thought it would happen sooner. I, I said we'd try to go this year. Well, I think it's going to be next year, but we're going, and um, it's going to be great. We're also looking into a potential mission trip to the border of Texas and Mexico where there are entire tent cities of people who are hurting uh, to meet the humanitarian need and share the gospel. We have some new partners, those good old Texas Baptists that I went to see last week, and, and uh, they've got a great deal going on there, a wonderful mission. Um, 12,000 people on the border came to Christ last year. I went in on it. So we're going to look at seeing if we can take a group. It's very well organized. There's a place to stay. It's a, it's a great opportunity. We're going to look at doing that uh, next year. But until you go somewhere like that, you might not quite understand the idea of asking God for necessities. And sometimes I'm as guilty as anyone. You know, I'm fairly good about asking God for the big stuff, you know, take care of my family, help our church advance your kingdom, keep, keep me safe on the road. But how often do I actually ask God for the necessities that I'm sure I'll have tomorrow? Things like daily bread, food, shelter, clothing. I stand guilty. I, 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 don't, I don't do this. I, I don't do this. I, I need to be reminded of, to do this. I need to work on this. Um, what Jesus did and what he said to do. You know, and, and it's, this type of thing is like making an adjustment to your golf swing. You know, it's going to feel weird at first. You know, you're, or your shooting form in, in basketball. You get, start getting that elbow out and, 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 and spinning. You've got to get it in. And then, but man, does it feel weird at first when you, when you try to make that adjustment. This is one of those kind of adjustments to, upper, to actually verbalize that, Lord, please provide me with food today. You know, please continue to allow us to have a home, um, whatever it is. Um, have you ever been guilty of the thought, what has God done for me lately? Don't answer that. Uh, I, I think it's partly because maybe you don't ask or we don't ask for what we need. We only ask for what we want. Isn't that weird? I mean, shouldn't, it's like we ask for what we want more than we ask for what we need. And that's why Jesus was teaching us this. We, we basically, if we're honest, I think many times we just sort of think we don't really need God for that. We kind of took care of our own needs, right? 
And maybe you do work hard. Maybe you have a job and you've earned it. Who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the job? Who gave the sun and the rain so that there'd be something to buy at the grocery store? We need to ask God for the basic necessities. Basically, if you don't ask God for the necessities, that probably means you think you can take care of yourself. The scary thing is that it's not beyond God to demonstrate otherwise and to prove that you actually do need his providence to make it in life. Jesus said we should ask for things as simple as food. I think what happens when we do that is we acknowledge our dependency on God and see that's when our perspective is changed. Remember the biggest point of change, uh, the, the biggest point of prayer is change. Life change. When I pray, God changes me. One of the ways God often changes me through prayers is correcting my wrong perspectives in the area of self-sufficiency. So Jesus taught us to ask God for basic needs. Next, Jesus prayed, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I think we sang that this morning at some point. It's amazing how God uh, helps Connor to choose songs that, that fit with the whole theme of what God is going to say today without him even knowing. We just let the Holy Spirit do it. Works out. Um, Keeping it simple, step five is pretty obvious. Ask God for forgiveness. And most of our times of prayer should include confession. None of us are perfect, and the more we come to know God, the more we realize how sinful we really are. We do well to ask for forgiveness regularly, as Jesus demonstrated. Now, I know that those of us who have received Christ are already forgiven for past, present, and future sin. But listen, Jesus said we still need to bring unconfessed sin to the Lord, to agree with Him about what we've done wrong, to turn away from those sins, repent, and yes, to even to ask him for forgiveness. Again, if we don't, those current sins will build a wall of guilt. We put it up, God doesn't, but we, we put it up every single time and it keeps us from freely connecting with God. Let's look at another one of Jesus' teachings on prayer. This is in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And Luke writes, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great self-confidence and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a dishonest tax collector. The proud Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else, especially like that tax collector over there. For I never cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For the proud will be humbled, but the humble will be honored. So the prayer that was acceptable to the Lord was, Oh God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. Now some of you have no problem with this. You know that you screw up all the time. <laughs> you know, you're just honest about it. You just get that. Others of you, if you're honest, are thinking, Yeah, you know, I really am pretty good, Pastor. I, I'm, I'm, good. I'm a good boy. I'm a good girl. Um, uh, and, and you know what? Compared to most people, you, you probably are. But you know what? God doesn't compare us with most people. He compares us with Jesus. And besides, just to keep this practical, if you don't know what you need to ask forgiveness for, then all you need to do is start reading the Bible. If you're in, the, in that group of folks that doesn't know what your current sins are, just start looking into the spiritual mirror uh, of Scripture, and you'll come up with some ideas pretty quick. I promise. Maybe, maybe yours is a sin of omission, something that God commanded, but you're not doing it. So confess it and follow the model prayer that Jesus gave us. 
Now, on the other hand, I don't want anyone to be confused about this. When you cross the line of faith in Jesus Christ and receive Him as your Savior, your debt is paid in full. We sang that this morning. Your debt is paid. That's the incredible power of the cross. It's just that we also still live in these old bodies for now, and we still live in this sinful, messed up place, and we still struggle and fight, and sometimes we lose battles with sin. We will not be perfected or glorified until Jesus returns. That means we're not always going to do what God wants us to do, and sometimes we're going to do things God doesn't want us to do. When that happens, we need to know what to do. We need to go to God. We need to go to the cross, and as Jesus said, ask God for his forgiveness, yes, again. Now, I don't understand this. I'll be honest. I struggled with this since I was a little boy. I'm a thinker, and I can remember not understanding this. Guess what? I still don't. At 49 years old, I still don't understand why I need to ask for forgiveness when it's already forgiven, when it's already paid for completely. I, I don't know how or why exactly that's the case. What I do know is that although I'm forever forgiven by faith in Christ, if I hang on to current sin and don't ask him to forgive me regularly, that every single time I wind up very disconnected from God. That's how I know I've got to keep going back to the cross with my junk. I need to keep going back to the cross, not for salvation, which is permanent, but for a fresh understanding of God's grace and forgiveness. See, when it comes to this more immediate kind of forgiveness, sometimes I have not because I ask not. I was mulling all this over one day with my wife, Christy, and she said, well, maybe it's like in a relationship with a friend where even if they've already forgiven you, you still need to ask them to forgive you. I thought that was very profound. Think about it. If you ask someone for forgiveness and they say, oh, I've, I've already forgiven you, does that mean there was no need for you to go ahead and, and ask? No way. You still needed to ask. And it made a difference when you did. Even if they had already forgiven you, the relationship likely wasn't completely restored until you asked them to forgive you. Maybe it's the same kind of thing with God. He's already forgiven us, but we still need to ask. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I don't get the feeling from this Jesus just wanted us to pray for forgiveness one time and then just presume on it from then on. Just presume upon grace thereafter. No, he said in the future when you pray, pray like this. And don't miss the last phrase, as we also have forgiven our debtors. In another place, Jesus said, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. This, too, is a principle taught throughout the Bible. Learn to let the forgiveness of God. This is a big part of why, more of the why. Why do I need to ask God for forgiveness? Because as you do that, you tend to kind of realize, oh, I need to forgive someone, too. And Jesus says, you do that in your times of prayer. Commit your forgiveness of others to God even as you ask him to forgive you. Finally, Jesus taught us to pray against temptation and evil. He said, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the last step in Jesus' model is this. Ask God for deliverance. Ask God for deliverance from temptation and from evil. I do believe Jesus is telling us to pray that, that the evil one, the tempter, Satan and his minions, will have no access into our lives. 
You can use that funny little phrase, hedge of protection, if you want to. But I mean, for me, it's like, is that the best we can do, a hedge? I mean, why not like a 20-foot thick brick wall? I'm just teasing. You, you know, whether, you're not, whether or not you lose, use the phrase, hedge of protection, there is a biblical basis for praying for protection in your life, in your family's life, um, from, from the evil one. Um, and from evil in general, for that matter. Not every bad circumstance by any means is caused by Satan. Much evil comes from the curse that's on this earth uh, until Jesus returns. Some is caused by the choices of other people, sinful people. I do believe Jesus is telling us to ask God that we might be spared from the horrible things that can happen in this life. We should ask. We should ask for protection. Pray that if evil things must be allowed to happen, he, for some greater good that we don't understand, that, that he'll deliver us through them, that he'll pick us up and help us overcome one way or another. I pray these kinds of prayers all the time. I do. I pray that the forces of evil will have no access into my life, into our church, into my family. Jesus said to uh, pray to be protected from temptation. And let me, let me tell you something. It makes a noticeable difference when I pray that God will keep evil and especially temptations away. I believe God answers that prayer. Sometimes when a big temptation comes into my life, I have to ask myself, when's the last time I requested that God lead me away from temptation? How about you? Facing a lot of temptation? When's the last time you asked God to protect you from it, to lead you away from it? It's really something we should pray for every single day, isn't it? <laughs> I'm always trying to prepare myself for the worst kinds of tests. You know, it's just kind of the way I think. I'm like, what if, if I face a guillotine, you know, uh, to stand for Christ, what, you know, how will I make it? Will I be able to, you know, I, just like I think through these things. Um, I'm trying to make sure that I'm ready for, for whatever comes. But I'm also always praying that it won't happen to me or my family or to anyone in my church family or the missionaries that we support, especially one particular. My daughter's a missionary. So, but yeah, that stuff won't happen. You know, it's nice to know that Jesus encouraged us to pray that bad things won't happen to us because if there's one prayer that's natural for us to pray, it's this one. We do have an enemy. He's real. The Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion seeing who he can, seeking who he can devour. We live in an inherently evil world surrounded by evil people, the worst of whom is sometimes ourselves. We ought to be praying for ourselves, for each other, for our kids, praying that God will protect us from temptation and from evil. We need to learn from Jesus and make this a big part of our prayers. I don't know about you, but in looking back at the Lord's Prayer, I always see a few areas that I've been missing in my prayer life. It's almost embarrassing that I could have omitted, omitted such major areas of prayer. But then every time I study any part of God's Word, I always find things that I had missed before. Sometimes people say, I just don't know how to pray. I just don't know what to say. Well, learn from the best. Learn from Jesus. Take your notes home, stick them in your Bible, and pray with this wonderful outline that Jesus gave to his followers. You don't need a professional to reword your prayers. And you don't have to wonder how to pray. Jesus told you and me how to pray. All we have to do is apply what he taught Let's pray together now.
our Father. Thank you for being our Father. For seeing us as your, your kids who you love, the apple of your eye. We know that you're in heaven. That your Holy Spirit is here with us now. You're holy. Your name is holy, Yahweh. You're only one God. You're not some generic God. You are who you are. You are who you've revealed yourself to be. We worship you. I pray your kingdom would come. That your kingdom would come to Ridgefield. That your kingdom would grow in Ridgefield. That more people would come to Christ in Ridgefield and beyond. That your will will be done on earth. That your will would be done in my home. In my life as it is in heaven. And Lord, I do pray for our daily bread. Lord, I'm going to eat some lunch in a minute if you allow it. So would you just provide for us to eat the rest of the day? We ask because we know that if you did not provide it, we would not have it. Forgive us of our, our debts, our trespasses, our, our sins, the things that we've done wrong against other people. Forgive us and help us to forgive others who've wronged us. Don't lead us to temptation, God. Lead us away from temptation. Lord, protect us from evil and temptation. Protect this church, Lord, from wolves that could come in. Church plants are extremely vulnerable. So easy for for someone to come in and and influence. Many times well-meaning, and yet to cause division. Lord, protect us, Lord. We don't know what we're doing down here. I don't know what I'm doing. We're, we're, just, we're just completely and utterly dependent upon you. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.